Welcome to the Gold Digger podcast series, the series that investigates the mysterious decline of Australian Rugby Union. It's a fan's journey into the void to pick up the pieces of Australian Rugby Union and find a path forward to fortune and glory. I'm your host and humble rugby servant, Matt Durrant. And thank you for listening. If you've been listening to me since uh, day one, I really appreciate it. If you've just tuned into this episode, welcome. I hope you enjoyed, and I hope you go back and listen to some previous episodes. There's some good stuff there, in my humble opinion. Now, so far, this podcast has been examining Australian rugby and focusing on the Wallabies. But there's another team that I haven't discussed yet, and I think it's important we do. Firstly, because it's a team that represents, well, another demographic that will be crucial to rugby union growing and remaining relevant in this country. Secondly, because they are due to play in the next World Cup in New Zealand. They are, of course, the Wallaroos. Like a lot of people I interviewed last year, during the height of the COVID pandemic and global shutdown, I had to do it remotely while I was still in London. This interview was, however, very easy to set up because she was very forthcoming when I reached out to her on social media about being interviewed and, in fact, went out of her way to meet my camera crew in between shifts at her job. She's one of the game's top athletes right now, and in fact, one of the best players in world rugby. She's, of course, the current Wallaroo captain, Grace Hamilton. Uh, so my story's a little bit different to everyone else. I was kind of like a netballer, did athletics, did some hockey growing up, but I'm um, always on the sideline of like my brother and my dad. Uh, so to be fair, I probably knew the rules before I was a toddler. But um, yeah, I played netball, and then I went... On, I didn't play rugby until I was on a university exchange. So basically just wanted to make some friends while I was in America and they had no idea what netball was. So I ended up joining the rugby team. Um, to my mum's dismay, she wasn't so stoked about it. Um, but yeah, like it ended up being one of the best things. And then from then I, I never played like netball again. It was like weird. It was just this transition into rugby and it's such a great game. Did you, I mean, did you have any sort of sports idols that you looked up to growing up and were any of them rugby, rugby kind of players or, or was it sort of, you know, your interests elsewhere? Uh, yeah, I had heaps of idols, like athletics wise, a bit of Kathy Freeman and things like that. But for me, it was like every time there was like a country visit, because I grew up in country New South Wales, it was more about... Like if the Waratahs came to visit, I was there, or the Wallabies did a, did a visit, I was always there trying to, you know, get an autograph or get a photo with Lottie Dakiri and things like that. And it's actually quite funny. Saw Lottie like a few we- weeks ago and we got a photo and I was like, I have a picture when I was eight with you and you're my favourite <laughs> player. So, yeah, I was, it was always heavily involved in rugby, um, especially in Orange, of like New South Wales, they, they love their rugby. So... Yeah, my, my dad was in charge of country rugby and, and things like that. So it kind of was just a pathway I fell into, but yeah, it was, it was a great opportunity. So, I mean, what's the current pathway um, for women to play professional rugby in Australia? Uh, so it's a little bit different. Like we, there wasn't any country, like growing up for me, there wasn't any country rugby. There were some opportunities within Sydney and things like that. But yeah, so the pathway now, there is a lot more women's involved and a testament to the women's sevens as well, getting girls involved in rugby um, has increased dramatically. It's probably getting like dramatically increasing more than boys at the moment anyway. Um, so mm. basically there's heaps of school level competitions and now I know within New South Wales, there's a solid country 
women's base and then a, and a city like around Sydney as well. So, and for my club this year, we had two teams, like two grades, which is unheard of in the women's game. So for us to be able to field like 50 girls every weekend, it was pretty unbelievable. So yeah, you go from like a club kind of competition into the New South Wales pathway and then into the Australian pathway. So yeah, there is a pathway set in stone now, which is great um, for the girls. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a long time coming and it's, it's really developed mm. in the last few years. Grace mentioned the Sevens girls, and this is a reference, of course, to Australia's gold medal winning team at the 2016 Rio Olympics. It was the first time Rugby Sevens had been played at the Olympics, and Australia beat the always competitive and much fancied New Zealand team to take the first ever gold. It stands as one of Australian rugby's glory moments, and is probably the only significant piece of silverware we've won in recent years. Some of the women from that team will be known to many, Charlotte Kaslick, Chloe Dalton, Elia Green, Shannon Parry, just to name a few. However, out of the 12 women in that victorious Australian Olympic squad, only three of them, Nicole Beck, Shannon Parry and Shani Williams, have actually played for the 15-a-side Wallaroos. I was curious to know whether the pathway for women's sevens and fifteens were separate or whether they were intermixed. As a school level, it's kind of intermixed, uh, but then there's, mm. there, this is one thing that I think they've really got to push is they've got to push for them to be separated at some point because you lose that kind of athlete and that girl's involvement um, when girls aren't like the quickest or they're just a different shape to other mm. people. So yeah, there has to be a pathway for both. And, and there has been some development around that. Like I know for our Waratahs team, they're trying to get a junior team as well, a junior Super W, so an under 18 kind of comp as well. Um, which would be great because that strengthens the pathway from a school level into the Waratah system. Uh, yeah, so I think there's a lot of work being done in that. Uh, if it comes to fruition as soon as possible, that would be great. But yeah, it's kind of been a long, long journey. And this idea of separation is currently one of the predicaments for the Wallaroos. The seven squad of professionals who are paid to play, not just in the Olympics, but also in the World Sevens tournament, which is completely financed and owned by World Rugby. And when this pandemic isn't shutting down the world, would normally be playing out all year round at exotic locations dotted around the globe. Now, Grace had met me, or more accurately, my camera crew for this interview at Rugby Australia headquarters, in between shifts at a school she works at in Sydney. Like the men did before professionalism took effect in 1995-96, Grace and the Wallaroos have to hold down steady jobs. However... The demands to play for your country and the state in this day and age still demand a very professional commitment to maintain that high level of competitiveness. Countless training sessions, special diets, gym time, and on-call involvement, including training camps, media opportunities, and then of course the games themselves, some of which will take place overseas. How hard is it to balance you know, work, lifestyle, and also keep up the demands of being a, a professional athlete? Yeah, like it does get hard, and especially I think COVID um, has hit everyone so hard um, in yeah. this pandemic. But there was going to be some movement on that. But for us now, it's kind of like, I know I talk about like some of the men back in the day when they, they played in the same kind of situation as us. It kind of keeps that passion alive because you're there because you're doing it as a hobby rather than a job. Um, and for us, 
yeah, it's tough. Motivation can be, can be tough and the expectations around your levels of commitment. But yeah, there's got to be some room for movement, keeping a day job as a full-time work and then training full-time. Um, it, it's kind of good because it gives you something to do, but yeah, you definitely, you don't have a lot of time to do other things, which is, I feel like I've been married to rugby for the last seven years. So. <laughs> yeah. Grace's rise through the Wallaroos and her promotion to captain in 2019 is all the more remarkable given that only three years before that, back in 2016, she failed to even make the Wallaroos extended squad of 63 players. It reminded me of another Australian captain, John Eels, who didn't make either the Queensland or Australian schoolboys side back in his early days. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. My thing was, um, in that moment, I'd been in the squad like in the previous two years, um, but we mm. never had any test matches. So for us, like in 2015, we were going to camps with like the leftover men's gear that were like three XLs and things like that. We didn't even have gear that fitted. Um, so for me in 2016, I thought like we played a our national competition and I, and I thought I went all right. Um, there's obviously a lot of talent around, but I, but I, I thought I'd um, been all right to even be considered in that squad. And um, I didn't get in, um, but it was like a moment in my life where I didn't, I was really stressed at my job. I was getting sick because I was working too much. And in one day I left my job. I didn't make the Wallaroos squad. And then I literally just like had nothing. And I was like, and thinking back now, I'm like, I just wasn't playing my best footy because I wasn't sorted in my life. Or like it, it came down to that um, balance because obviously working full time mm. was stressing me out and then, and training. And I, and I don't think I could handle it at that, at that stage. Um, I did end up in that 2016, the day before they left to New Zealand, they called me, called me in um, and I ended up mm. playing literally two days later. So it was a really big whirlwind um, kind of experience for me, but I'm really grateful it happened because it made me realise what I needed to do to perform the best I could. Um, mm. And yeah, to kind of not take anything for granted. And that's why I think... I think it makes it mean so much more for me because it was just like taken away. Um, um, yeah. yeah, so now I just like love it so much. And um, yeah, I just want to be the best I can for that team. How challenging has it been for you as a player to take on the captaincy? Um, when we were playing, I, I, really, I really enjoy that. I, I kind of enjoy being a team and um, allowing I don't know, allowing the environment to flourish in a way that you can uh, express yourself and, and have some fun. Uh, I think that's what really needed to happen within our game. We needed to create relationships to then build some trust and some strength within the squad. Uh, that's what I really enjoy, regardless of me being the captain or not. I, I really do enjoy being part of a team and, and trying to make sure everyone feels included and and feels part of that. Uh, being the captain on the field is, is, a, is a great reward. Um, my thing is, yeah, I, I do know the rules a lot, uh, but yeah, I've got a lot to learn in, in kind of a leadership <laughs> position as well uh, in regards to like how to, in hard situation, pressure situations, where to go and how to bring everyone back. And um, yeah, so that's all a learning experience for me, um, but I'm just honored to be able to give that opportunity and be given that opportunity. Growing up playing rugby in Australia, my local club really was a family environment. We had juniors at all age grade teams from as low as under sixes 
and maybe one or two girls were playing against the boys up until under 12s. And then there were the senior teams from first grade down to fours, maybe even fives if the club had enough numbers that year, plus our Colts team. But never to be forgotten and often playing throughout the day was our women's 15s aside, only the one team. And they would normally play at or around the time of second grade or Colts, so certainly they were part of the club and they were certainly a key fixture that would make up that classic Saturday club rugby day. But in recent years, the Wallaroos have played a couple of games as curtain raisers to the Wallaby matches, bringing them closer to the exposure granted by bigger crowds. That includes broadcasting as well, where it was go- has gone from being streamed online for free to now being part of the rugby broadcast package that Stan Sports are now offering in Australia from 2021. So by gradually bringing together the Wallabies and the Wallaroos, I was curious to know how close the two teams actually are and whether there was that all-in-the-same-club feel that the amateur level of the game provides. Uh, There's really no crossover dramatically in regards to kind of the similar trainings, Mm. even staff and coaches. They're really, really separate. Uh, The Waratahs, however, we, at at like a state level, we got pretty close to the boys last year. Obviously, we can't see them this year because we're all in different bubbles. But, um, yeah, yeah, like they they were really supportive of us. And I remember they played a game in New Zealand and then got on a bus and came to watch our Super W Grand Final last year. So, yeah, there was a really great um, reward there. But that was kind of more of a personal level rather than a connection through like Australian rugby or all the Waratahs it kind of we just created relationships and and built that but there was a good time last year before the Bledisloe in Perth before the boys beat the All Blacks last year that we um we all went out for dinner the night before and just got like caught up and then yeah the boys help us any way they can I think it's more about um, us maybe building that relationship because they're so open to help us and look we anything we can get from them is great. Just the talking to you and thinking about it today, you know, there's so much turmoil. There has been so much controversy. But then when you think about it, actually, it's been in the men's game. You look at what the women have done. It sort of feels like there's two narratives. There's a there's a tough narrative going on, and then there's a really, I don't know, very positive narrative going on. But you don't really hear about that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's hard. I always say this, like when I hear a story about rugby, I'm like, we never celebrate the small wins or the the positive stories, we always focus kind of on the negative. Um, and, and that's, as a player, I find that really tough because obviously I'm a supporter of both female and male rugby. But yeah, we really do focus on on what's gone wrong rather than what things have been developed and what things are changing. Um, so for us in the women's game, I know that we try and yeah, trying to kind of power of positivity. There's no point dwelling on something that is is going wrong. Um, try and like obviously people try and implement the right things but as at a playing level we have to focus on trying to create that confidence again Um, and trying to and then you put on a spectacle and people want to watch you and then it just kind of all comes up rather than burrowing down in the ground because something something's gone wrong I think yeah that mentality around that is is really great and to be honest um, the more time as as us a women's team spend together, the better we'll get. And obviously we don't have that time at the moment. So yeah, it is tough, mm. but um, yeah, the development and the amount of girls playing now and the amount of people that even just like say hello to you um, in random mm. places, um, it's just so nice because you're actually seeing the support around there and around Australia. Um, and it's been, it's been really nice. 
do, do you think, is there, is there a sort of an active um, aim to try and bring the games together a bit more? Yeah, there, there, and there has been discussions. I've been involved in discussions around that. I think it is a really positive thing to have um, the two together because you're creating a different kind of fan base. A lot of people say that it should stand alone, it's the women's, it's men's. I'm like, but we have to work together. Like we're in the same industry and and I know like when we played at ANZ, our first doubleheader with, with the men at a Bledisloe test match, it was just like a different vibe. And we were so excited to be there. Like we've looked up to some of those boys forever and the confidence they had in us. It kind of just kind of changed our game. And I know um, in the first round of Super W three years ago, our Queensland New South Wales game went into double extra time and the Waratahs were playing after us against the Sharks. So basically half their supporters were already in the stadium. Mm -hmm. And I remember finishing that game and some people being like, oh my goodness, I'm coming to watch you girls again. We never knew that you could play like that or it was kind of similar. So. Yeah, it's creating that opportunity for people to see, I think, is, is really important for both the games. Um, and I'd love to see us together. The Wallaroos have had, it's fair to say, a mixed history in terms of their performance. Not unlike the Wallabies in their sort of first chapter of the early 20th century. Their first official game was back in 1994, and since then they've played 55 international matches and have a 34.55% win rate. There have been six official World Rugby Women's World Cups, and New Zealand have won five of them, and England the sixth. The Wallaroos have only finished as high as third back in 2010. But since that time, women's rugby has grown, and the number of countries competing at that high World Cup level have increased with it. Unlike the men's game, the field is a lot more diverse in terms of the countries that are at the top. In the current World Rugby rankings, England and New Zealand are first and second, respectively. However, Canada are third. And the top ten also features the USA at sixth, Italy at seventh, and Spain coming in in tenth place. Currently, the Wallaroos are ranked fifth in the world. 2020 was meant to be a big year for the Wallaroos. In Australia, Super W, the women's equivalent of Super Rugby AU, commenced in 2018 and it has been responsible for giving more game time to women at a provincial level, with the ultimate aim being to strengthen the Wallaroos. And this has started to show in recent performances with big wins against Japan in the middle of 2018, and despite never having beaten the Black Ferns in all 19 encounters, the scores are getting somewhat closer than the thumping defeats in the years prior to Super W. A full schedule of games was planned for 2020, and then... COVID hit. What have been the major impacts to the the women's game that COVID has brought about uh, this year? Um, For us, it's probably the most disappointing year. We were meant to have nine test matches in Australia, which is unheard of Mm. for us. Um, The most we've probably ever played a year is four maximum. So, because we've got the World Cup next year, we're meant to have nine um, test matches here and a lot of countries coming to Australia, which is, would have been great for our game, especially being able to have them on home soil, um, which never really Mm. happens. Uh, but yeah, then it's kind of just training programs because we haven't spent time with our team. We're all, we had individualised training programs to then have, yeah, then in a, in a sense, we like the motivation and our goals got so different, which was really hard. It's kind of like big picture rather than setting like goals for a few months. We never really knew when it was going to happen. 
Um, that's probably been the yeah. hardest thing for all of us. And, and for me in a leadership position within the team, just trying to keep those girls motivated to train when there's no games has been a really difficult um, situation. You, you're, you're obviously looking ahead in a year's time. And so, you know, the, 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 the cons are you, you haven't had a chance to play together this year. The pros is everyone's in the same boat. No one's had a yeah. chance. So you kind of, who, who will win next year will probably be whoever's managed to handle 2020 in, in a way. Are you, are you guys sort of having those sorts of conversations and thinking, all right, right, this is a unique chance to sort of try and be that team that sort of comes out next year and absolutely blows everyone away because we've just, we're prepared and we know what we've got to do. Yeah, that's something um, uh, we've kind of really tried to filter down. Like we still are training. We, we don't even know when we'll play again, but we're still having like a train, a satellite training session in New South Wales in at the Brumbies in Queensland every week mm. based on what we kind of want to do and, and our focus is for the year ahead because literally less than a year now that we'll be playing a World Cup. So it is a unique experience. Um, that It is hard. I know the Northern Hemisphere competing in kind of a six nations competition at the moment uh so definitely mm. france and and england are, are really um good supporters in in that game but um yeah we just want to kind of spend some time together um and and we'll get we're going to camp in december and things like that but yeah we've you've got to play more rugby i think and now as of last week in march 2021 another blow World Rugby have announced that the World Cup in New Zealand that was pencilled in for September to October this year will be postponed to 2022 due to the ongoing pressures and limitations that COVID has imposed. So for the Wallaroos, it will be yet another year of preparation without any international rugby, which makes the domestic Super W competition all the more important. And with this adversity and the great reset of 2020, there are numerous opportunities for the continued advancement of the women's game in Australia. Yeah, I think, like, I think it honestly, this is the chance that you have to either at a community level get participation numbers up because every single person wants to do something active. And then um, I think it also is, is a time to rebuild that, that kind of like strength. I know like other boys, like if they didn't play in a 23, they would... I always ask this question. I was like, do they get upset? Do they cry? Whereas like the women, if you don't get picked in that 23, it is like the most devastating thing ever because you've spent every single bit of your spare time training for this thing and it's just taken away from you. So yeah, like that's, I've genuinely had those conversations with some of the boys that play for the Wallabies and they're like, no, I want to be there, but they're not, they're not as upset as like, we, I don't know if it's just an emotional thing for women, but um. <laughs> It's um, definitely, that's a difference that I, I kind of see. But I, I do think we need to s increase the playing mm. time um, of all players. Um, if they're not playing at a super rugby level, they're playing in a club competition. or We've got to kind of make things at the same time so we have those avenues to play different games or different grades at the same time. I, I think that's really important. Do you, do you think the advancement of the women's game in Australia could bring something different to kind of benefit the game and kind of, you know, push it forward? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it definitely does. Like we, the, especially the women's sevens, like they're obviously all professional. So 
there's a lot of girls that aspire to be like that, but then there's also girls on the flip side that um, just want to play like our, our level of rugby and, and the Willaroos sort of perspective. Mm. Um, that does get hard sometimes when um, you look at those girls and you're like, oh, they, they're, getting, they're getting all of that. Um, and it's something that um, we thought we were going to get this year, but uh, obviously it's yeah. not going to happen. Um, but yeah, no, I think that it, could, it can bring something special to rugby. I'm not a person that will sit here and thinks that women's rugby is going to be better than men's. I am. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that it has originated from men. And, and I think that we, we play a role in that now. And it's lovely that we're getting that support. But I think it's a game that we have to build together rather than, rather than separate them completely. Um, because the boys, the boys are successful when there is support around them and, and they're getting that time. But I think at a women's perspective, we can be successful when there's, if we're allowed to have that time together. Um, and as you say, that cohesion mm. is so important. Um, that's something that, that I really struggle with, not spending time with probably the people you're going to play at the World Cup with next year um, is really tough. Uh, but yeah, something that we've got to build and, and, and have that time together at some point. And this is one of the rubs at the moment. Nine games for the Wallaroos planned for 2020 were denied due to COVID. The chance for the women to not just get more international experience, but also with the playing squad around them to build that much needed cohesion to be successful. The women's sevens team are currently fully employed, while the 15 aside remains amateur. And it begs the question, is the full professionalisation of all women's 15 aside around the world just around the corner? And if so... Does Australian rugby need to pull the trigger and get in first before the rest of the world gets ahead of them? What, what danger is there of Australia losing the best female players um, either to other codes or even overseas? Uh, probably not an overseas perspective. Like I have thought about going overseas to play because it's probably an avenue. Like I can go to France and play professionally and, and that's something that we don't have here um, at, a, at a 15s mm. level. Uh, but there's... Probably the overseas thing is not, not so much, but definitely other codes. I know um, there's a lot of crossover between rugby league and rugby union, AFL. But I, I don't know, like I'm, I'm torn in between this. Is it a competition um, or is it something that we should support each other to do if they don't clash? Uh, mm. Because we, I have girls at the Waratahs level and stuff like that that play rugby league and then they play rugby union because they don't clash. And, and I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, unless that we are a professional team, I think we should be able to like obviously expand and get some playing time in different avenues as well. Uh, I think we should celebrate that. But yeah, there comes a point where you have to make a decision. Um, and it, it's just kind of the time that we spend together and, and when it's going to be. Because uh, there's so much unknown right now and I think that's the hardest thing for all the girls. They're like, oh, mm. do I sign this contract or this contract? Because you never know what's going to happen. Already some of our best rugby union women are big draw cards in rugby league. Charlotte Kaslick, Elliot Green, two of our Olympic gold medalist sevens players have been playing in the NRLW in the last 12 months. So too is one of the Wallaroos' most prolific try scorers, winger and fullback, Mahalia Murphy. Now, while the NRL women's competition is short and has limited exposure, unlike the AFL equivalent, it's only a matter of time. And if Rugby Union doesn't do something to retain some of its best female footballers, 
then the player drain that the men suffer will become another handbrake for the game's development. There's another area that needs improvement too, an increase in 15-a-side women's rugby at age groups between junior and senior levels. I asked Grace about this. Yeah, it, it's kind of hard. So in union, you're allowed to play as a young girl with the boys. And then as soon as you yeah. kind of get to 12, you can't, um, which is understandable. Girls and boys develop differently. But um, mm. then it kind of leads into, it's really just school-based competitions. And I know like some, like PWSA and things like that get, a, get around it, but it's normally like a sevens competition from a female perspective, which then leads into, yeah, and Sydney Rugby Union, I know, then goes into a 15s kind of competition. But yeah, there is more kind of a sevens focus at a school level and a, and a youth level uh, around women's rugby. And then as they get older, kind of 11 and 12, it moves into like a 15s kind of base. Do you think they could bring that down to get girls playing 15 aside earlier? Yeah, they definitely could. It's kind of just the buy-in is hard. And and I think one of my biggest things is you've got to, you got to get the mum on board before you get anyone else on board. Um, because, and I know even from my perspective, there's a level of fear there. But once they get over that and they see the game, they, yeah, it, it's completely fine. But, yeah, you've got to get mum on board, I think, before you can get anyone else on board. Um, but, yeah, there's opportunities to develop that from a younger age, I think. And even at a 10s environment rather than a 7s, because you still, mm. you, won't, you won't lose the front rowers per se and the props and the forwards as much as you will in kind of the sevens games. If the women's game is to grow, then this gap of 15 aside rugby during a girl's teenage years surely has to be bridged to provide them with an opportunity to develop from a junior to cult level and then finally senior level. That and of course the pay. Now the business of rugby is pretty simple. Professional players are paid out of the income capacity to get crowds and draw revenue from game day tickets, broadcasters' money and other corporate sponsorship. And it's fair to say that the Wallaroos are not at the same level as the men as yet. However, there is a massive lesson to be learnt from the Wallabies that can be applied to the Wallaroos. When the game turned professional back in 1995, Australia was one of a few number of countries that professionalised immediately and had advantages with its strong provincial teams, decades-long development of talent, and the capacity to gain intellectual property from other professional football codes to great effect, quickly gaining parity with the All Blacks and becoming world champions for a consistent period of time. In women's rugby, the conditions are similar. Professionalism is not completely adopted in all countries. The New Zealand team, the Black Ferns, have a strong domestic competition that Australia is trying to catch up to, but we have participation numbers. We have access to elite resources. We have a men's team who we can leverage off. And there is now a competitive domestic competition. And in my opinion, players like Grace, who have the talent, desire and the drive to take the Wallaroos all the way to the top. If ever there was an opportunity for Australian rugby to be looking at a gift horse in the mouth, this is it. At the team that could be supported and destined for greatness. And in doing so, an entire new market female rugby supporters who would be inspired to play the game, pay club registrations, buy merchandise, purchase match tickets and add their numbers to the support the game so desperately needs in this country. Because let's face it, Australian rugby is in dire need of doing something different to make sure it doesn't die. I did ask Grace if she thought rugby was dying in this country. Uh, no. <laughs> 
I, I honestly don't think it is. And I don't know if I'm just because I'm a female sitting here because there's so many girls wanting to play rugby. And I go home to country New South Wales now and there's girls like wanting to play rugby, which did not happen when I was growing up. You didn't want to play rugby. There's girls genuinely fighting for an opportunity to play. My old school getting me back and things like that. Um, in regards to the, the men's game, look, I don't think it is either. I think things needs to be done from a, from a grassroots level up um, to support that game and, and, and put in some solid competitions that allow people to play. Um, but I know this year, obviously, a lot of rugby league things, competitions didn't happen in the under-20s and, and out in the country, that all those players went and played rugby union. They're playing for a local Orange City or Orange Emus. And, and the competition um, there has gone from strength to strength and, and the rugby is unreal. So, I don't know, we've got to kind of celebrate that wins and now we've just got to see if we can retain kind of that position that we've had. And I, and I think we need to like put something in place to retain those players for following years. I think you're exactly right. And I, I, I kind of look about, I, I'm, I'm sort of been looking at rugby in Australia, even the Wallabies and well, there is every, just as like one big club the club's going through a real kind of rough patch, but, you know, it is a sort of all-in, one-in, all-in sort of thing. And I think, you know, I guess I'd be curious to know where, can you bring all the various different entities and factions together? Like you've got, you know, the Wallaroos, the Wallabies, you've got the, the Sevens programs, you've then got the Super Rugby teams, you've got the Western Force doing their thing, and, you know, then you've got Schoolboy and, and all that. Is... Is, do you envision a, a future in which Australian rugby actually gets everyone on the same boat and on the same page to go forward with sort of a common purpose? Yeah, I, I think that is. Like, in, in, in able to create a strong culture and kind of a strong club, you need to have, like, that common goal and common purpose. So, yeah, maybe it is um, being, like, a scaffold of, like, umbrella every single person and let's align everything. Um, that allows opportunities for all players to play and then if they're going up a level or down a level, they still have that opportunity to get that game time and, and obviously that cohesion of playing with people that they may play with in the following weeks or following years. Um, I think it's important. As of March 2021, the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand's planned for 2022. An exact date is yet to be determined. Grace and her merry squad of Wallaroos have been announced for this year and they will be taking part in training camps. They'll have to wait a little bit longer before they can show Australia, and indeed the world, just what they are capable of. In the meantime, you can watch our country's best female players thrash it out in the Super Rugby W, which will now be recalibrating its season schedule with the announcement of the World Cup being postponed. Uh, all available on Stan Sports if you're in Australia. If you're overseas... Well, stay tuned. You might have to sort of see, but I imagine it will be streamed and, and made available as, as in previous years. We've discussed on this podcast about the uncontrollable forces that Australian rugby is unable to manage. The player drains, the overseas competitions, the economy of scales and all the big followings of the rival codes in Australia. But women's sport represents a rare opportunity for rugby to capitalise on an emerging market and central to that is the exposure of the game and the increasing competitive women who are playing it. And of course, success at the high level. The best evidence that rugby could capture the hearts and minds of young girls is what the women achieved at the 2016 Rio Olympics. And if the Wallaroos can make a mercurial rise to the top in the coming years, it would be very reminiscent of the watershed moment 
the Wallabies achieved 40 years ago in Twickenham. This is the Gold Digger podcast series, a spin-off from the new feature documentary film Gold Digger, The Search for Australian Rugby, which will be coming out very soon. Brought to you by me, director and host, Matt Durren, and sponsored by whoever wants to reach out and pay me to have their name up in lights. Music is by Makeup and Vanity Set, sourced from musicbed.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash golddiggerrugby. Follow us on Instagram for pretty pictures and Twitter for banal chatter. Till next time, keep on digging.